if you remember, we're going through this book, and this book is a book that calls us to be who we are now in Christ if we've believed in Jesus. Um, so the, the, the book opens out with his call that he's writing to the saints, and uh, sorry, to, to those who are sanctified, to those who've been made holy uh, and called to be holy. And so he says, you've been made into a holy people by the blood of Christ. Now you're called to live in that new identity of who you are in Jesus. And he spends the whole book, if you remember, we're just rehashing a little bit here, going through these 10 issues that are facing the Corinthian church. Some of them are things that they've written to him about. Some of them are things that he's heard about that are happening in their church. Uh, there's, there's all sorts in there. It's a different sort of licorice all sorts, if you will. Um, and... and Last week, we started in chapter 7, which we're, we're wrapping up this week. Uh, chapter 7 is he's facing the issue of kind of marriage and sexuality uh, in this church. Um, and we went through to verse 24 last week. And the big key principle that we saw there is that principle of remaining with God where you are. We might immediately assume once we're saved that God's going to pluck us up and change our situation dramatically, that we're going to, you know, and these guys wrote to Paul and said, hey, well, now that we're saved, you know, maybe, we, maybe our marriages shouldn't involve sexuality because, you know, everything's going to change and be di completely different now. And, and, and maybe the single people, they shouldn't get married so they can go and serve Jesus somewhere else. And, and Paul goes, no, 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 remain. Remain where you are, but with God. Be the presence of of God's people, a gospel presence where you are, and know that he goes into that place with you and transforms your living and shows people himself through you in your everyday, in your normal situations. And so he applied that to marriage, he applied that to singleness, and he, he told us that's actually a principle that applies to life in general. Uh, now, it's not a hard and fast principle. It's not wrong to change situation. In fact, he kept giving little exceptions to that. Uh, but, uh, but that was the principle. And today, we're coming to the, the last slab of this chapter, verse 25 to 40, which Bron very kindly read out for us there. Um, speaking primarily to those who are engaged. Um, now, if you're not engaged, if I did a show of hands here of those who aren't engaged, I think I would get everyone, unless we've got some parents here who need to confess that they're into like arranged marriages or something. Um, we don't, I, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, <laughs> But um, there's something we need to know as we come into this. It's still a passage that really speaks powerfully to us. There's a principle in this that speaks to all of us in our current season of life. And that's where we're going to go with this. But uh, there's, a, there's a big difference between what engagement is now and what engagement was then. Um, so, so engagement today, um, I think you would say it is faux pas. It is unpopular to break off an engagement. Um, you know, you're probably going to strain some relationships. You might never talk to one person ever again if you break off a really serious engagement. Um, in, in their day, it was actually exactly the same as divorce. Um, and doesn't that make sense when you think about Mary and Joseph, right? And, and, and Mary gets pregnant out of wedlock and Joseph doesn't know yet, hasn't had the, the angel visit and the Bible says that he, he planned to divorce her quietly because he was a decent man. And, and like that was the done thing. If, if you were breaking off an engagement, you... you issued certificates, you, you had a, a formal divorce over that. Um, now, knowing that, nevertheless, there are some real interpretive difficulties when we come to this passage, some challenges when we read it that, that might lead us, as, we're, as you imagine, if you will, you're sitting down to your morning or evening devotionals and you, you whip open the Bible and you get to this section of the Bible and you're like, okay, God, what are you going to tell me today? And, and you get to, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek to be bound. Is he saying that if you're not married, you should never try to get married? 
Or, or, or what's that, that doozy down in, in verse 29? He says, from now on, the, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Now, I don't know about you. That's a little bit challenging, especially considering what he said earlier in chapter 7 about living out your marriage, right? That's, that's a little bit baffling. Uh, and then, or, or what about further down? He says, he who marries his betrothed does well. He who refrains from marriage will do even better. Is it better not to get married in Paul's view. Paul, remember, who writes Ephesians chapter 5 and his glorious view of, of what marriage is. And now he goes, you know what? It's okay to get married, but you probably shouldn't. It's, it's not that great. I, I wrote that letter earlier. Don't believe the hype. I've changed my mind. No. Uh, <laughs> and, and what we get here, the interp- I ho- hope you can tell that's a little bit facetious. The interpretive challenge here comes back to understanding this book and, and what's happening in this book. Uh, now, do we remember the, the structure that we got within the sections of the book? Remember, I just said before, we're, we're in this book, it's got 10 sections of different issues that are being faced. And within those sections, you've got these three things that we've kept coming back to. You've got the situation, you've got a gospel principle, and you've got the application of that principle to their situation. And what we've seen is that the situation is not always our situation. Sometimes it's dramatically different to our situation. And therefore, the application is not always exactly the same as the application we find in our situation. You know, the situation here in this passage is dramatically different to ours. Uh, We find this most clearly up in, in verse 26. Look there. He says, what does he say? He says, I think that in view of the present distress... It is good for a person to remain as he is. Um, the present distress is an interpretive key for how we understand this, this piece of scripture. And, and what we know historically is that in uh, this, this letter is written in AD 55. In AD 51, you've got a, a whopping great grain famine that happens across a large part of the Roman Empire. And, and so large that, that Corinth, the city he's writing to, has to appoint like a, a curator of the grain supply, they call him. He's, he's like, a, if you know your Old Testament a little bit, Joseph in Egypt, handing out the grain appropriately so that there's enough of it to last the, the famine. Um, and, and into this situation, this significant famine, this significant disruption to food and to life, Paul writes... Uh, this application that he thinks it's better for an engaged person to avoid getting married for the time. And that helps us to see what he's saying here, right? When he says, is anyone bound to a wife, i.e., is anyone engaged? And he says, remain as you are. He says, stay engaged, you know? And, And the obvious implication is, don't get married yet. You know, if you're engaged and you're staying, he says, stay engaged, he means just, just, just hold in that stage for a bit. And if you're single, uh, and then don't seek to get engaged right now. It's not the best time for it. The logic's pretty clear, right? Like when you think about it, we're, we're talking a world, a couple of thousand years pre-modern contraception, and, uh, and, and, and he's saying, basically, if you get married... That's how families happen. I'm not going to explain that one any further. And, and, and it's probably not a good time to do that if you want your kids to survive because there's a famine. I think in light of the present distress, remain as you are. Don't engage people. Remember, he's saying it to the betrothed. He says it at the start of the passage there. 
But let's, let's not make the big mistake here. The big mistake, uh, which many people make when they come here, is that they say, well, the, the situation's different and the application's different, and so this doesn't apply to me, and, and that's false. Situation is different, the application looks different, but there's a gospel principle between those two. And the gospel principle informs how we live today. The principle fits into this context of the broader principle of chapter 7 of remaining with God where you are, and we get it down in verse 31. Paul says, Let those who deal with the world be as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. I'm a huge ESV Bible translation fan, but to be honest, I think the NIV actually captured this better. Uh, the NIV says, I know, I know. It says, let those who use the things of this world be as if they were not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. The present distress, Paul is saying, so get the connection here between the present distress and the world passing away. The present distress is a sign, is an intensification of a broader reality that is happening and continues today. In, in Romans chapter 8, uh, Paul says the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's funny, I was talking to Philip over here just before the service and we were talking about how Jesus in Matthew 24, Matthew 24, right? He talks about how the, the distresses of this world, the wars and the havoc are birth pains of a new creation coming in. The famine that they're experiencing is a, is a birth pain. It's an intensified moment pointing to the coming end of the world as it is and the coming birth of a new one. And so, and so here's what that means when he says that this world in its present form is passing away. It means that remaining with God today means living every part of your life today in light of and for the day when you will be with him fully. Every part of your life today lived for that day to come. For us, that means, that means there are ways that you can live today that prioritise worldly things over the day that is to come when you'll be with him fully, and there are ways that you can live today that are the opposite, that, that, that prioritise that coming day in your situations, in every single one of your situations, every way that you live, you can prioritise that coming day over the world that is here today. Paul's going to give us some really specific examples of that. We'll get there. Um, but, but first, the, the, the small objection, which I, I feel in myself when I hear that, is why, why does it matter what I do with my life today? Right? Like we, can, we can think of ourselves as fairly small sometimes. Um, sometimes smaller than we are. I know that sounds odd. Like, like, what does it matter how I use my money and my time and my, my marriage and my mourning and my rejoicing, which we'll get to. Um, and, and let me give you just, just two very quick answers to that question. Number one, what you live is what you believe. No one ever, ever, and I could argue this to the cows come home. I don't think that's actually a phrase. Is that a phrase? Anyway. No one ever lived in a way that didn't line up with what they believed. Um, this is why P Jesus says over in the Gospels, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks because the words come out of your deeply held 
faith. The things that you treasure in your heart are what produces the action in your life. That's, that's, that's why we as a people keep, keep coming back to this, that, that we're changed when we see the truth of Jesus more deeply because we understand that we're a people who've believed in Jesus and yet who are called to believe more and more and to know him better and better. So number one, what you believe is, uh, sorry, what you live is what you believe. Number two, what you live is what you declare. By your living, you declare to the world what you believe in. And each one of us, therefore, are called into being a gospel presence. And not just declaring by your living, but declaring by your speaking, right? You end up, I don't know if you've noticed, you end up talking about the things that you spend your life on. Um, this is inevitable. Um, you know, have you ever thought to yourself, well, I just wish I'd, I, I spoke more about Jesus and then gone away and spent five hours watching football, you know, and then, and then for some reason you end up talking about fo- football. Like, crazy, huh? Like, but... But what you live is what you declare. And what you live is what you believe. And so our lives being transformed by the day to come really does matter. Now this is so vital and it's so hard for us today. The soup of our culture that we swim in, I realise that you don't swim in soup, that's not a great metaphor, work with me here is that we either live for today or we live for tomorrow or we live for or we live from yesterday. Um, what I mean by that is you know you, you have the today people who and, and most of us are a mix of this, right? Today is defined by getting what I want here and now. This is the YOLO approach to life, right? This if you don't know what I'm talking about it's okay. Um, this is this is um, me getting what I want, being with who I want, doing what I want right here and now because it's my life and you can't stop me. This is the party hard lifestyle. Number two is today is defined by storing up what I need for the future, providing for myself, for my children in this world, just that being my key and only focus. Uh, For for many of us, this is just, you know what, I'm going to have a sweet retirement and that's the focus of our lives. And, and, then, and then number three is today, and this is, this is the, the most obviously hurt, hurting and, 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 and broken one of these, is today is defined by yesterday. Today is defined by the thing that went wrong in my past, and I just can't get past that. By the mistakes, by the ways that I've been broken by people, by the ways that I've broken people, and so my life doesn't move meaningfully. I think we can all think of someone we know in that category, right? And yet what we have to see, we might naturally, we might naturally look at that list of, of living for today, living for tomorrow, and living from yesterday, and gravitate towards one of them. That's quite natural. And go, yeah, I think that one's better than the other two. But what we need to see is that none of these are valid options for Christians, for followers of Jesus, to give our lives to now. Hi, Ted. Those are a part of what we were saved out of. They are a part of our old lives it's it's urgent that we grasp this church if you are saved if you've trusted in jesus then when you trusted in his blood to save you you didn't join a new club you became children of a new world you didn't just change how you use your sunday mornings you changed what world you belong to you became part of a new creation and you became a new creation yourself as a part of what is to come. Paul says the present 
form of this world is passing away. We belong to a new creation world to come. So we live every part of our lives today for a day that is to come. So in the ways that we live, Jesus is calling us here out of how we were and into who we are now. Oh, look, becoming who we are. So I want to just spend the the remainder of our short time here today uh, zeroing in on what Paul says there in verses 29 and 30. Um, There, where he gives specific areas of life to apply this principle to. Um, If you're aching to know a little bit more about the other things that he says about engagement, come and have a chat to me afterwards. Um, But Paul gives us these four areas of our lives uh, and remember, this is still in light of the present distress. Uh, these, the famine, uh, which is an intensified reminder of the coming day of Jesus' return. Um, so, so we could read what he says here as an intensified version of how we are to live outside of crazy famine time or wartime or the roof collapsing on us. He speaks to four areas. He says, relationships, let those who... Uh, are bound to a wife be like they didn't have one. Let those who mourn be like they are not mourning. Let those who rejoice be like they were not rejoicing. Let those who buy like they have be like they have no goods. Now these are these are intensified applications. And, and we know that it doesn't straight one for one mean, yeah, you should act like you're not married. Even even or even for them, right? Because because he just said it earlier in chapter 7 that you should live out your marriage. Uh, it doesn't mean for us that we don't have relationships, that we don't mourn at all, that we don't rejoice and we don't buy. It means that all of those things happen for us in light of the day to come. And so when, we, when they do happen, those four things, they don't take first importance for us. So a question we want to look at now is what does it mean to live in these parts of our lives today for the day that is to come in our relationships, in our mourning, in our rejoicing, in our buying, in our use of our, our money and our resources? And, and it's an interesting list, isn't it? Like, like that seems a bit like you just f- thought of four things, right? And I, I, I don't know exactly why Paul picked these four things, relationships, mourning, rejoicing, and buying, as his four areas to mention that we live for the day that is to come. But it's interesting, isn't it, that these four things are four things that's going to touch all of us at some point in our lives. Uh, relationships, mourning, rejoicing, and buying, no one's excluded from them. And they're they are four areas where we are very commonly tempted to make those things the key priority in our lives, those things about themselves and not about a day that is to come. So let's break this down now, relationships. Um, we're not going to talk super long on this because we talked a bit about that last week, but this one Paul speaks to most directly. He, this doesn't mean don't get married, um, but marriage, singleness, even engagement aren't the focus of today for a believer in Jesus. Rather, they are intended to serve a day to come. Do you seek to live out your marriage as a gospel picture, husband, wife? Do you seek it to be a thing that shows the world what Jesus is like, or does it just exist for its own self? 
single person? Do you seek to use your singleness? As, is it a stepping stone to marriage? Is it a wallowing pit to wallow in? Is it just a, a thing? Or do you see it as an opportunity to honour Christ with the time blessing that he has given you? What about about mourning and rejoicing, right? These These are two areas of our lives where there is so much power in the gospel to bring transformation, yet which we so often want to keep for ourselves and apart from God. When you mourn, and I know, like, I know this is hard. I know that we've all mourned here. Some of us have mourned a lot more than others. But when you mourn, your otherworldly hope, your, your indestructible inheritance in a world that is to come and in Jesus has an opportunity to shine through in ways that it does not on good days, that it just can't on good days. When a Christian mourns a loss, when, when someone dies, I know, I know that's, a, that's a, a reality for most of us and it will be for all of us by the end, or when our plans fail, or when the things that we've been hoping would happen in this world don't happen the way that we hoped they would. The gospel would call us to experience hope even there. This isn't about kind of slapping on a happy face and pretending that it's okay. It's about recognising that these are all signs to us as believers in Jesus of a world that will soon pass away. It's going to be replaced by a world where there won't be any mourning or crying or sorrow or pain anymore. Sickness, sin and sorrow, they all act as a reminder for the believer that this world right now is not how it was made to be and that there is a God who is doing something about that, who's done something about that and will one day return and finalise what he has done. So, so we mix our mourning with joy. And so we live for tomorrow today. We can be shattered, but we're still shattered on the firm foundation of Jesus. Likewise, our rejoicing, our celebrations, uh, are an opportunity for the gospel to shine through. Whenever you invite believers, here's, here's, a, here's a functional principle for you. Whenever you be- invite believers and non-believers into the same celebration, and then are just Christian, are just a follower, a disciple of Jesus in the way that you celebrate, you create openings for the gospel that are incredible. Do, do we realise every time we celebrate a birthday, and, and some of you will be like, oh, I don't celebrate my birthdays anymore, John, I got past that by the age 32. But, um, but, but maybe you should. Just take the chance. Um, it's, it's, it's a chance When you celebrate a birthday with friends who know Jesus and friends who don't, you have an opportunity to celebrate the faithfulness of God in their presence. To to say, look look how he's watched over me all these years. To to thank him. To celebrate that a greater party is yet to come for you as well. That that every party today is a shadow of one that is coming. We, We can live for the day to come in our celebrations simply by inviting in people who don't know Jesus and including thankful prayer in those celebrations. Yeah, I, know, I, I understand that that feels like it could be weird, probably. Um, 
I would challenge that that only feels like it could be weird to the extent that we really truly believe that that day is coming. And if it is coming, we're going to look back and think it was weird every time we didn't. You know, that gets through to a person in a way that a hundred pointed discussions never will. When we do these things, we become a living parable of the kingdom of God where he invites in the lost to his great celebration. Um, you're familiar with the, the parable of Jesus in Matthew. I've forgotten my chapter number right now. I didn't write it down. Um, where, where he talks about that God is like a, a, a groom who has a wedding feast and kills the fatted calf and he prepares the oxen. And if you're vegetarian, the Bible, you know, have your tofu burger. But, um, but, but, but it's a feast the likes of which no one in that culture could have afforded most of the time, right? And he, he puts on the great feast. It's a party. And he says, come. And he invites them in. And he ends up inviting in mediocre people like us. <laughs> Praise to him, right? And we become a picture of that when we open our doors, when we open our celebrations to those who don't know him and invite them in and celebrate what he's done there. Finally, he speaks to our buying. He says, let those who buy be as though they had no goods. Um, and, and, and this is an easy one to get wrong, right? So it's so easy for us to focus on worldly goods. Um, and it's not a mistake that that's the case. Like there is a billions of dollars industry called advertising that sole existence, sole reason to be is to make you dissatisfied, to make you believe that you're missing out on something in life. Um, I don't know about you, like I, I realised this recently was that I'd been living under the impression that I was the guy who was immune to advertising. You know, like you watch TV and you're like, ah, these ads are there and they're wasting my time, but, but I'm never going to fall in for this. And, and, and then like, you know, one in every 20 advertisements you do, you do see and you go, that does look like a nice laptop though. And mine's been making that buzzing noise. That means it's defective, doesn't it? Yeah. They didn't make me think this. I do want that. That's me, that's not them. And at, <laughs> see what happened? Like, if you hadn't watched the ad, I'm just saying. Yet we, as the people of God, are called here to always subject our buying, our use of our money, to the fact that we've been given something of greater value, an inheritance in the kingdom of God. We live in... We live with an otherworldly focus here when we, when we live like we have what we need because it has been given to us in Christ. And so we are generous with what we have as a result. Like, how does that look? Certainly, you know, give to your church. There you go, there's the money plug. Um, we, we give to other ministries as well. But I want to point out actually what Paul says here primarily is about your goods, and, and when you buy goods for yourself, how that works out. And, and, and we also, when we buy goods, we do even that in light of the coming world. Or we can do that in light of the coming world. When you buy your grocery shop, you know, certainly there's a way you can do that that relates to the people you're buying it from as well, but, but when you buy food, you can buy it with intention, gospel intention the intention of inviting others around our tables. The table is, is, is I think, probably the, the key evangelistic tool of the New Testament. That you gather people in and you show hospitality. 
Hospitality is such a, such a powerful, such a biblical, such a forgotten part of the Christian faith. It's so often lost in, in that soup that we swim in of, of, of modern Western culture. The individualism that we're in, right? D- Did you know we commanded three times in the New Testament to show hospitality by three different authors of the New Testament, by Paul, Peter, and whoever on earth wrote Hebrews? Um, (laughs) It's not a mistake. Hospitality is, uh, in case you're wondering, like some of us think hospitality and we think, yeah, yeah, invite my friends around for for lunch, right? And and it's lovely to have lunch with your friends. I'm not discouraging you from doing that, but but hospitality is a word that literally in its original language means love for strangers. Yeah, it's, it's like the latter part of it is based on the same word that we get xenophobia from as far as strangers goes. Love for people who are different. And so it is love for those who are lost, love for those who are outside, love for those who are difficult and distant and strange to you. Um, It's not an accident that the Bible emphasises that. When we use our money and our goods to show hospitality, we are a picture of the day that is to come. And we we are children of our Father who invites in the lost. I want to I close off today with an invite. Um, the, we, if you've trusted in Jesus, you're called into a, a new world with him. You're called to live for a day that is to come when the sorrows and the sadness will be gone and when all of that will be secondary to the fact that you're in his presence, knowing yourself fully as his child and knowing him fully as your God. Christians, we, we have so many practical ways to live that today. And, and so often we can fall for the lies of the world that say, no, 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 don't, don't live for them. Live, live out your marriage. Live out your buying. Live out your mourning. Live out your rejoicing. God has no say in these things. God gets your Sunday morning. You know, he's, he's got all that he needs. And yet Paul calls us into something so much deeper in, in our relationship with God, so much more gospel-centered and so much better So I'm just inviting you, take a step into this. You know what's spoken to you in there. I'm not going to rehash those things. Take a step into it. If you haven't trusted, if you don't know him, if if you've been coming to church your whole life maybe even, and you just realise today, this is something I haven't actually trusted in. I I haven't been living like I've got a new world coming for me because I don't. I don't know him hear the right invitation that this is, right? The old form of this world is passing away. Every disaster, every war in Ukraine, every pandemic, every, every everything is a reminder of the fact that this reality is coming and coming soon. Today is a time to turn. Today is a time to become a child of a new world. Today is a day to trust in Jesus. If that's you, come and, come and talk to me afterwards. If that's not you and you want to talk to me about something, come talk to me afterwards. But for now, would you, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, um, even as I speak, I know my own failings. I know the ways that I've prioritised today in my own life. And Lord, I, I want to represent us here. And, and we want to come before you and just confess, Lord, we haven't, we haven't always lived this way. We haven't always remained where we are, living today for the day that is to come. 
We pray, Lord, that you'd bring change in our lives. I want to pray that um, you would give us gospel intention in our lives. That the ways we live our marriages, that the ways we live our mourning, the ways we live our rejoicing, the ways we live out our use of our very basic use of our daily goods, that they would be informed by the fact that you're coming soon. And in that, that we would be a gospel presence, that we would show a watching world what we believe and that we'd be ready to speak it out. Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone hearing this who does not know you, hasn't trusted in you. I pray that this would be the day. I pray that they'd be able to turn to you and say, Lord, I've been running away from you. I haven't been yours. I haven't had this joy of an inheritance that is in you. And yet today I trust in your cross. I trust that you died for my sin. I want you to be my Lord. I pray for that person that you, and we know you do, that you would honour that, that you would lead them in, and that they would live their life now as your child, called into your kingdom. We pray it in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. These guys are going to come on up.